happens and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. There's been a lot of whiplash around bots. One day, they're the thing that's going to carry us into the future. And the next, they're on the verge of destroying us all. Today on The Growth Show, I talk with Adeline Zhu, CMO of TopBots, and I get what I think is the clearest perspective yet on the purpose and future of bots. From the simple rule followers to the artificially intelligent game changers, all hail the AI overlords. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The End of Days. So, Adeline, I think we're at a really interesting time for bots and AI in general. It's kind of a, a gold rush right now. They're getting easier and easier to build, and everybody's sort of jumping in to try to figure out, you know, how do I build a bot? I need a bot. It's very much a buzzword right now. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've read a lot of your writing, which is um, around this idea that you really don't have a bot until you have a use case. Can you tell me a little bit more about that need for a use case and where people kind of go astray in the hunt for it? Absolutely. So first, I'd just like to clarify, since there's so much misconfusion about what exactly is a bot. And I think our conversation today (laughs) on a bot is circled around Facebook Messenger bots or things such as a virtual assistant like an Alexa skill. Basically, a computer program that you can talk to. The word for bots can encompass a lot of things. Sometimes people even put Siri and other Google assistants into that term. Yeah. But, uh, and if people haven't used it, you can go onto Facebook Messenger, which is one of the most common ways, and talk to a brand. And historically, when you talked to a brand, you were talking to a person, right? There might have been a marketer or customer service rep behind the brand typing answers. But now a lot of companies are using these pre-programmed kind of conversations, these bots to talk to you. Um, And so your question that you ask is, yes, a lot of times now brands are finding that this is a great way to use these computer programs to connect with users. But at the same time, as they all jump onto this bandwagon, they don't know why they're building it and as a result, create these really awful user experiences and then users get frustrated and then they think that bots suck and never, ever want to try to talk to a brand bot again. Yeah. Because we're simultaneously kind of building the appetite for it from a consumer standpoint, but we're also informing businesses of, of how to use these things. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And then another times you might also hear people call them conversational experiences or messenger experiences. They're all kind of the same thing. They're all catchphrases for this new type of way to interact with a brand. Do you feel like the terminology is going to get clearer over time? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it's it's great that you started there because I remember when social media first came around, like no one knew what social media was. And so we were bucketing all these things into social media. I remember for a while it was like blogs or social media because there's comments. <laughs> um, and then that kind of fell by the wayside and social became a lot, you know, really focused on like Twitter and Facebook and so forth. But the terminology is always really fuzzy in some of these new areas for years, I think. Absolutely. And it's definitely in this case. I would say probably about a year and a half, two years ago is when this term, quote unquote, 
chatbots first came around. But I think now a lot of times you'd see that most people don't call them chatbots anymore. Yeah. I mean, a year and a half, year later, people are now more often calling them messenger or conversational experiences. Um, initially, they were called chatbots, and then people had this perception that they had to be able to hold full conversations mm-hmm. to completely be able to chat. But then they realized that the artificial intelligence, the machine learning behind these chatbots weren't that smart. And so rather than trying to program intelligence that wasn't really ready there, technologically wise, people then started thinking, okay, if we rebrand them, not as chatbots or bots, but more as messaging or conversational experiences, then it's takes away the first chat kind of mentality where you can have other types of experiences where you're going through kind of more decision trees or doing quick replies. Um, And what quick replies are, for example, is they will give you like select one of the three answers, right? Like what kind of skin do you have? Say like pretend you're having like a makeup bot and you'd be like, oh, oily or dry or combination. And it's like a gives you ABC choices. And so that's where a lot of these conversational experiences are moving um, more than just having free form chat where you just write whatever the heck you want. You're actually kind of guided through an experience. Within that chat bot or that chat experience, What are some of the different categorizations you would funnel these spots into? I mean, it sounds like there's kind of a customer service angle. What else falls in there? Yes. I would usually categorize them into three different ways. So first, like you mentioned, customer service. Customer service is a huge area for artificial intelligence. It's fascinating that usually it costs between four to twelve dollars for a company to service every customer service request. So that means if you and I ever wanted to call Amazon about a missing package or trying to figure out how to pay our telephone bill, like that would cost the company 4 to $12 just to have that customer service rep talk to you. That adds up quick. Very, very quickly if you think about how many times you've called customer service. And so the result is tons of companies want to figure out ways to continue to provide really high quality service. 24 hours, right? Seven days a week, but at the same time, cut costs. And so artificial intelligent kind of bots is one major marriage area where there's a lot of investments going on. The second major part where bots are being found are in marketing. I think marketers are amazing at looking for the latest technologies. Sure, yep. As a marketer, you're always thinking, what's the next big platform? Because every other existing platform is so saturated and your cost per acquisition or cost per install or cost per click are so high. But when you're on a new platform, there's always opportunities for arbitraging, right? Into getting those eyeballs. And so on the conversational side, a lot of marketers have flocked over to create new experiences for consumers using conversational interfaces. So for example, one of my favorites, I mean, eBay has a bot called the ShopBot, and you can use it to discover products. Um, You can, for example, take a photo of somebody's shirt or a dress that you see them wearing, and then it will do a visual search. And with that, help you figure out kind of what kind of 
outfit that was and find something in the eBay catalog that was most close to it. Got it. Or Sephora is creating, like they have tons of different bots. They have one where they let you do virtual lipstick try-ons where you can take a photo of yourself. So because you're on your mobile phone, snap a photo of yourself and then upload it and it'll automatically apply different lipstick colors to you. Um, And then you can also even take a photo of your latest dress or shoes that you want to use and then have that match your lipstick color to it. Um, And then finally, and the marketing side, like another favorite example is actually entertainment these days. A lot of movies now, in addition to putting out a trailer, they'll also create a bot. Oh, interesting. mm -hmm. So when um, Zootopia from Disney came out, uh, they actually created a bot in the form of Officer Judy Hopps the bunny. And so kids could go and have these engaging stories, these conversations of choose your own venture to talk to Judy Hopps, the Officer Rabbit Bunny bot. And through that, if they completed it, they would get a badge with their name on it, like an, an image of a badge, right? A police badge. And then tons of kids actually put this badge and made it their Facebook profile photo. So it was like great marketing, great That's experience, awesome. yeah. like win-win for everybody. And one thing before you kind of go on to the next type mm-hmm. is that I that stands out to me about each of those examples is – there does seem to be, even though it's a marketing bot, there does seem to be something in it for the consumer. Um, mm-hmm. I I wonder, you know, you talk about people going astray with bots. I could definitely see marketers, because I am one, uh, <laughs> just seeing this as sort of a one-for-one replacement for email or um, using <laughs> it as a distribution channel uh, rather than necessarily like an exchange of value. Absolutely. And it's so interesting. There's so many unique things to the conversational experience that are really helpful to marketers and that marketers can use as a completely new communication channel. So one of the main things is that when you're talking to these bots or these conversational agents, it's a conversation. And a conversation by nature is very different because you ask questions, you wait for responses. And what we found is historically people are way more open to telling the truth, Mm -hmm. to actually giving information when they're talking to a bot. That's so for example, if you're a marketer trying to do surveys or customer feedback to understand your users, you can actually ask questions in a much more humanistic way rather than having them fill out these survey buttons and where you get nobody completing your feedback survey. But here you can easily ask, so, oh, what was, like, for example, the Judy Hopspot, right, from Disney could easily ask, oh, hey, what was the last movie you saw? Or, like, what did you love about this movie? Or, you know, what are you excited about to do this summer? Like, it could just ask all these questions, and it would seem normal, and you would answer it, whereas in a survey, you'd be like, this is boring, and I don't want to continue. Right. So the exchange is a is a key part of this. It has to be – it's a two-way communication channel, mm-hmm. and we can't exactly. forget that. Yeah. A lot of other times you also – so you see higher response rates. You see also higher open rates um, and conversational rates. So in email, you'd be lucky to have 30 40% open rates, maybe 1% to 2% click-through rates. But with a conversational bot, usually you see like 50, 60, 70% or more engagement rates in terms of conversations. And then converse, people having these conversations, you'd see like 40, 50 or more percent. So the engagement with a conversation is unparalleled compared to with an email. Does that stay around or is there some measure of that that's just novelty? 
Mm-hmm. So it definitely drops over time. But if you're a well-engaged bot that has continuously able to deliver value, you do see people coming back all the time. So some of my favorites, um, for example, a friend has a created the bot Meditate bot, and it's a bot that gives you meditation exercises, and he sees people coming back day after day. Yeah. There's another one called Poncho, which is a really fun hipster cat that tells you the weather. The weather. That's right. I've heard about Poncho. Mm-hmm. And when they first created it, they had really poor retention and engagement rates. People would try it once and then just bounce. But then if using the exact same things that as a marketer we have in our tool set, you know, how to get people to subscribe to notifications, how to segment people, how to create interesting content so that people will continuously engage. And through all these experiments, but in the bot format, they were able to, I think, almost double or triple their engagement rates over time. So I think these examples really bring this to life and and take it out of the kind of vague terminology into something that feels more applicable. What are some of the bots that you've personally helped build? Yeah, so what we've worked on a, quite a few for large brands. I can't really talk to you into due details about them, but we worked on, for example, a bot with a um, large cosmetics company that helps people find routines and makeup and things mm-hmm. like that. We've worked on a similar kind of a daily meditation experience. <laughs> capitalizing on helping people create a peaceful habit within their daily lives. Um, There's bots now like in every, almost every aspect, like almost all brands have, or types of brands have tried to create a bot. We at TopBots have profiled a lot of them um, on topbots.com slash brands. But on there, we talk about, I think, over a hundred different major brands and their bots. And then we dissect them to analyze what is good about them, what needs improvement, and what kind of experiences you can get. Are there some industries that you think are further behind in this that are completely missing out where there's a real prime use case for bots? I think that a lot of uh, finance companies, they're trying to jump on the bandwagon and they want to create these more intimate user experiences. But because of data ownership rights. Um, for example, they don't. They want to make sure that the user transacts everything in their finance and their bank account on their systems. It makes it harder for them to build on third parties such as Facebook uh, Messenger yeah. or on Amazon Alexa. Do you see that in, in, in public health and government too, other industries that have similar you know, regulation and privacy protection? Yes, absolutely, especially um, in healthcare. Um, I think the government side, they're just a bit slower to move. Um, though I think the U.S. Immigration Department recently created a bot called Emma. So it's not on Facebook Messenger or anything, but it's on their government immigration website. So that you know is another example of bot. It can be just on somebody's website. Nice. And how does that work? You can just ask Emma questions about, you know, what do I need to do? How do I get a visa? How do I get a green card and immigrate to the U.S. That same customer service use case Mm -hmm. of of very commonly asked questions. Exactly. Makes sense. So I know that TopBots has written a lot about how other countries, especially China, are just frankly blowing us out of the water when it comes to using this technology. Just how far behind would you say we are in the U.S.? So I would frame it in a couple of ways. So first, historically, the U.S. has always been ahead, right? We have 
been leading in the technologies on basically all fronts. However, as of a couple of years ago, the number of papers um, in artificial intelligence that are come from Chinese professors, researchers, and universities have topped that of any other country. Mm. So there are more research papers in artificial intelligence published in China than anywhere else. Of course, we might say quality and quantity are two different things, and quantity, you know, from China doesn't equal with quality quite yet. But I think it's just a matter of time before that catches up. In China, a couple of months ago, the Chinese government put out an edict saying that they are building the AI industry into one trillion yuan of an industry, um, and that I think is like a hundred and sixty some billion dollar industry. And this is from the Chinese central government, um, and this is their plan for 2030. And if you look at historical, you know, trends and what China's done and whatever the government says, usually gets implemented and usually done pretty well. And so, as a result, you look at what happened with manufacturing and other industries. And then, finally, just in terms of the consumer adoption. If you just go visit, it's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, there's places in the cities,、um, especially in the major ones, where restaurants no longer accept cash. You can only pay by mobile. Oh, and wow. <laughs> yeah, it's like even if you cash, they're like, "Sorry, we can't serve you. We can only serve you if you use WePay or Alipay." How long did that take? That kind of total transformation into <laughs> a society that is really run on and by and through bots. So first, I would say they leapfrogged a lot of technologies, right? I would say about up to probably a couple of years ago, they were still looking to the U.S. for a lot of innovation for startup ideas, where you would, I guess, copy is the biggest form of flattery,、um, and build like the Chinese version of Facebook, the、yeah. Chinese version of Google, the Chinese version of Blink. But I would say in the last probably couple of years is when a lot of new ideas are now coming out of China, and actually people are trying to apply those in the U.S. So I'd say in the last couple of years is when the change really started happening. What will you look for as a tipping point in the U.S. or in EMEA for for that matter to say that like yes we've reached a point where bots are are now permeating everything?、Mm-hmm. I think when Bots are permeating everything. We probably won't even realize it. It will be such a natural experience that it would seem like we were talking to another friend or another person. And at that point, I think that gets also to both the exciting and scary part is、yeah. when we can't even differentiate between what's a human and what's a robot. So that's actually a perfect pivot point for us because I do want to touch upon that. There's a tremendous amount of hype, and there's also a tremendous amount of hysteria around bots. Why do you think people are worried about the idea of interacting with bots? With bots, especially the smart ones. So first,、um, just to clarify, not all bots are intelligent. Some of the bots are just super, super simple. Simple rules. Yep, they're rule based. They're what are called decision trees, where You select A, and they give an answer B. It's just like a old choose your adventure where everything is already scripted.、Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the more intelligent bots, I think people are really scared because one, we don't know where that's going to take us. We've seen so many sci-fi movies or futuristic movies from the Terminator and other things where we don't quite know what to expect when machines. 
become intelligent and have the intelligence of humans Mm -hmm. or even surpass that because they're able to process and memorize and calculate things at a scale that is impossible for humans. Um, And then add to that famous thinkers and leaders in the industry, including, for example, Elon Musk, who is very, very negative and talks about the dangers of artificial intelligence and what can happen to humanity. The reason is we don't know, right? We don't know what's going to happen at that time. Are we going to have a Skynet moment, a Terminator movement, or will we always be able to control these bots? Or at one point, will they become so smart? like the ones in her where they go off and on their own. So I'm curious as to where you personally are on that scale. I mean, you mentioned Elon. So Elon was talking about AI and said, it's one of those rare cases that we actually need to be proactive about regulation instead of reactive, because by the time we're reactive, it's going to be way too late. How do you react to that quote? And and where are you on that kind of panic scale <laughs> of uh, of how dangerous this could be? I think I'm in the cautiously optimistic, probably a little bit closer to maybe Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. But at the same time, I definitely realize there's huge potential risks and it will fundamentally change humanity, whether it's through the future of work and how we're going to be working differently to the future of our personal lives and how we just live our day to day everything will change in the next couple of decades. So you're more worried about what it would mean for jobs and salaries than about like a a bot, you know, being smarter than you and somehow taking over. I think it'll take a while before the bot becomes smarter and taking over the world. One thing that we do need to really think about is all the, I guess the ethics that go around with it. Sure. Right now, a lot of artificial intelligence is what they call a black box. The reason being is that we don't know how the algorithm actually performs and comes to its decisions. Even though we've built it. Uh, Yes. So historically, when you did an algorithm, let's say for giving somebody a loan, you knew why that person was approved or rejected. Right. Potentially because they missed payments on their credit card or they you know, had you know, some other issue in their history. And as a result, you could pinpoint that exact reason. And because of that reason, you deducted you know, 100 points from their credit score. And as a result, their credit score is lower and you didn't get them the loan. Now, if you're using more of these machine learning techniques, you actually don't know why you might approve or disprove someone because the machine's doing all this calculation and it's making these correlations and it may or may not actually have a reason for it. Like it finds things that you don't actually see. And as a result of that, you might be training what they call when you create the algorithm with inherent biases. So with these biases, they might perpetuate existing biases, whether it may be gender or racial or social economical, um, or just unfair biases that give preference to one group over the other. And as a result, these AIs are trained on these, and that can lead to issues in the long run in terms of our society and how we do things. That's really interesting. And I think it goes back to your original point of needing to know the use case and also know the implications of that use case. Mm -hmm. So not just to assign a bot to anything, but actually to truly think through what does, you know, when it works well, what does this bot do? And then what are the consequences to that? Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you are, you're introducing a level of discrimination um, exactly. into the process. The more you talk about this, the more it seems like 
there needs to be sociologists on this as much as there need to be engineers. That there there has to be sort of the the understanding of the context of bots in society rather than just creating them in a vacuum. Absolutely. One of the things that we talk to executives about as part of TalkBots is how to create a team around artificial intelligence. The first thing everyone thinks about is, oh, I need machine learning engineers. Um, Those are the engineers that are programming the AI. But fundamentally, you need your entire company to understand what is AI, what is it not, how it can be used in businesses. And it's just as important for the marketer to understand everything that's happening now as it is for the engineering team to make sure that you create systems, algorithms that are generalized, that are non-biased, um, that can be inclusive of everybody. I, I think that's really interesting. I'd actually love to dive into that. You know, people who are listening, um, they're considering bringing bots into their company, uh, creating those use cases for them. They need to know how to build a team around this and how to hire. Who would your first hire be for a company if they're sure they want a bots division? What, what's the first like three people look like on that team? So most times you would, it depends one on if you're making a bot for marketers or for customer service or where that fits. But at a higher level, probably be, does your company need a, I guess, AI or a machine learning division or a data division? And from there, how does that fundamentally add into the rest of the company? So I would usually start with understanding where the company is first on a technological kind of scale, like how digital and technologically are they? Does the C-suite even know what they're doing and why they're doing it? So the first step is really to educate the leaders, like the CEOs, um, the market CMOs, and the other teams in the executive suite to understand what what you're trying to do. From there, depending on what the goal is. If you're just trying to make a small marketing bot, then you could hire, you know, a couple engineers or even just outsource it to create it. Because if you're doing something that's more marketing or campaign based, you don't need a whole team internally for it. But if you're trying to do a much more digital kind of AI transformation within a company, then you need to think about creating entire division and a team And within that, you need a leader who understands the technology, understands the data. Um, You need engineers to help organize the data that your company has and then hire existing people to like new machine learning engineers to help. The thing is, though, it's really, really hard right now to hire machine learning engineers. And they're they're even more rare than... Yeah, they're hard to find. Yeah, they're even more rare than an engineer, like a typical engineer. They're like machine learning engineers. They're like, I don't know, a pegacorn or whatever people (laughs) call it. So one question that I automatically have is centralized or decentralized, right? So should you have a concrete team within the company that is focused on AI and bots, or should you be trying to, to hire for that skill set throughout? It depends. I hate these. It depends question uh, yeah. answers. I, I want to give you one answer. No, I'm, I'm giving you an unfair setup. So let's, let's give you a scenario. So let's say I'm a, a shoe company, right? I'm mm-hmm. Converse or, or Adidas or what have you. And um, I'm selling to consumers and I'm trying to build a bot use case into into that company. How would you think about that? Would you hire a designated team? Would you have someone in the C-suite who is uh, an expert on bots? 
Yeah. So usually if I'm in the C-suite, you'd, you'd be higher level since a bot is such a specific use case. Um, it'd be more like, do you want to hire a chief AI officer, which a lot of people are starting to argue you should have one. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, becoming are you one like of those people? Uh, I think that if the company is mature enough, um, it definitely can use one, but if it doesn't even have a chief technology officer or chief like data officer, then they might need to hire those people first. Sure. That makes sense. But your earlier question about a, a shoe company and how they should think about it, I'd say if they're just trying to dabble in it and it's not part of their core functionality, then maybe they just hire externally and have someone create, say, a marketing bot or a customer service bot. Mm-hmm. But if they're fundamentally trying to change the way that their business operates, then people well, like that's why actually people bring us in because we can help them understand where within the organization can you actually use artificial intelligence. So for example, do you use it in your factories to help you cut down waste and improve machine uptime? Or do you use it in your supply chain to help you predict what types of shoes people will want in the future? One example of that is now there have companies that are uh, helping beer companies create taste profiles and actually come up with new flavors of beer and using machine learning algorithms and taste to figure that out. Oh, that's and so you can have the query for shoes and trends. Or are you trying to use machine learning in your customer service department and helping minimize the number of customer service rep calls? Or, or are you using it in HR to say you're hiring like tens of thousands of new employees every year, are you using it to help onboard and make that onboarding system within HR more seamless? I mean, that can actually be automated and made much more efficient. So the short answer is if you're trying to do something just really simple, one-time bought for marketing or something like that, I would probably outsource it or hire just one or two people within their innovation team to focus on it. But if you're really trying to do a transformation within your company, then you will probably need a much more dedicated team with this as their mission that's cross-functional and has ability to touch all different parts of an organization. How much redirecting does top bots end up doing when they do go in and consult with a company? Are you, are you finding that people really need to be led to that use case? Sometimes companies have an idea of what the lowest hanging fruit use case for using artificial intelligence within company is. They know exactly where the huge bottleneck is within the company. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the most broken process or we have spent so much time on this. Either that or it could be, oh, this is our biggest revenue generating area. And as a result, also has the most potential for improvement. So some companies have that and they know already when they come and bring us in. So we focus on applying machine learning to those functions. Um, other times they, they're like, we just need to expand our business model and we want to think about new innovations. So please come in and do a bottoms up analysis across our entire company and help us figure out where we should focus. Makes sense. All right, Adeline, my, my final question for you is really a personal one, which is, what is it about this space that gets you up in the morning excited? You know, when you look to the coming year, the coming years, what are you most excited to see? I'm super excited about a day. I think as a very efficient person, I just wish that we'd be able to spend more time focusing on the higher qualities of life, whether that's talking to friends or family or spending quality time with people and experiences. 
And I think with a lot of these AI machine learning and bots, they can help make our lives more efficient by taking away the most mundane routine parts. I mean, for example, you have bots that can help you schedule appointments and meetings. Um, You can have bots that help you pick and find good restaurants so that you can connect with others and actually focus on, I would say, the the better, finer, and more enjoyable parts of our lives instead of doing the rote things. It sounds like you believe that bots will ultimately just make us more powerful as a as a people. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully don't become more powerful than us. No, I'm going to Well, we'll see how the movie plays out. But thank you so much, Adeline, for all your perspectives on this. I think it is clearly a rapidly changing, rapidly developing space. And we're excited to watch it along with you. Great. Thank you for having me. Of course. And if you want more of this, uh, as I mentioned, Adeline Zhu is going to be speaking at HubSpot's Inbound event this coming September. Um, I know I'm going to be in attendance uh, and I can't wait to see that talk. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, you're still here. Good on you. Thanks for sticking around. I have one last real quick ask. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. I know, I know, it sounds played out, but it actually helps people find the show. And it makes my mom proud. So thank you in advance. Oh, and hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>